Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. And uh, we've heard, we've, we've sang about uh, being the salt and light of the world. And so let's talk about it a little bit more in the context of the scriptures as well. A place to belong. Now, we're really closing down a series of messages that we've entitled Seven Enemies of Our Faith. And one of those em- enemies we're going to be talking about this morning is isolation. And the title of the message, A Place to Belong, we've got our, our shirts on and on all that. We'll be talking about that in just a moment. But next week, I'm going to be sort of doing a wrap-around message because there's an underlying reason why Satan is able to attack us so easily in certain places in our life. And we're going to be looking at that underlying principle next week as we really wrap up the series of messages. So what does isolation and a place to belong and the church really have to do with um, how Satan attacks us? Well, Bernard Burleson said this, total isolation, I love this quote, is virtually always an intolerable situation for the human adult, even when physical needs are met. Aloneness, loneliness, a lack of friendship is a real problem in our society. And you know that you come out, maybe you're in a restaurant somewhere and you're looking around the different tables and everyone has their little device out of some type. You know, they've got their little device out and they're, and they're texting or talking or playing a game. And we're not talking even among, among one another. But relationships have always been a difficult task. And we, when we are isolated by ourselves, we discover that we're easier prey to the devil, to Satan. When you think about it, Jesus was most tempted when he was alone. He was isolated. He was isolated in um, the wilderness. He was isolated in the garden of Gethsemane. And he was isolated on the cross, his, two, his three biggest times of temptation in his life. And so when, the, when Satan can get us off by ourselves, when he can get us off in our own thoughts, in our own mind, he places, begins to place his thoughts in our mind. He's just easier to pick us off when we're not in, uh, in relationship. So where does the church fit into all this? Because, I mean, after all, the church has come under a lot of criticism in every generation, and some of it's justifiably so. And so what did Jesus say about the church? Well, remember when uh, Peter was making his confession about Jesus Christ. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Here's what Jesus said. He said, and I tell you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so God was about building the church. In fact, one of the reasons why God sent Jesus to die on the cross for us is to build a new community, to take the next corner in building that community. And we're going to see that. In fact, the church can give you something that you can find nowhere else in the entire world and that is Christian community. Well, as we open to Matthew chapter 5, we see this being true. Jesus is about to preach the most famous sermon in all the world, and that is the Sermon on the Mount. And we sometimes misinterpret the Sermon on the Mount to think that it's all about the individual, that God is talking to the individual and all these things toward the individual person. And he is, but it's more of a collectiveness. It's more of he's talking to the church as a whole in this, uh, in this series of talks, in this 18-minute sermon that he preached many, many years ago. And so as we're looking at this, he starts off, he's sitting down, verse 1, he's sitting down and begins to preach. And then in verse 2, he talks about the Beatitudes. 
Blessed is the man in this. Blessed is the man. He's talking about an attitude change of our life. Then in verse 13, we read this. You are the salt of the earth, that if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled uh, under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I want us to look at this passage, and I want us to see three things about relationships and three things about the need for it and the difficulty of it. For example, you know, it's, it's not only difficult to make a friend, it's, it's difficult to keep a friend. And you know that. How many of you, think about it for just a moment, other than our high school, middle school students here, how many of you say have graduated at least 10 years ago, either from college or high school, and still maintain the same friendships, same closeness to those friends that you had back when you were in school? Very few people. In fact, there are people who have left here, moved somewhere else, and you say, look, we're going to Facebook one another, you know, social media, we're going to call one another. And that lasted for a little bit of time, and now absence from your life has made the heart grow, uh, you know, absent from the body, you know, and all that, you know, they're, they're, they're absent from you. And so therefore they're kind of out of sight, out of mind. And it's difficult to maintain those things. And so we look at this, we look at the challenge, we look at the calling, we look at the celebration real quickly, the challenge set before us. Well, we do have a problem with relationships. Look at it. The Beatitudes. Why did Jesus start off and say, in your relationships with other people, you, you need an attitude change? Let me give you a few things, uh, a few things that you really need to change in your life about your attitude. Then he talks about the fulfillment of the law, beginning in verse 17 through 20. Now, here's the strange thing about the whole thing in the Old Testament. If you recall, or maybe uh, if you can recall, about how in the Old Testament God rescued the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And he, re he, he rescued them out of Egypt. They were in the wilderness, and then he gave them the law. You see, first he saved them, then he gave them the law. He didn't save them by the law. He saved them and then gave them the law. Why? Because we need laws and rules in order to establish community. In order for the nation of Israel to be a, a God community that's going to be a testimony to the rest of the world. And so we have problems with rules. Anger, verse 21. We have problems with anger, lust in verse 27 through 30. Uh, the dissolution of the family and the relationships we have in the family, gone. And uh, oaths, verse 33. Why do we make oaths? Why, why did God warn us against making oaths and swearing? Because we don't believe anybody. You know, we, we, we think everybody's lying, so what do we do? We, we emphasize it somehow with, with swearing or giving an oath. Retaliation in verse 38 through 42. And finally, he just says in this section, love your enemies. Wow, difficult to do. Again, the difficulties we find with relationships and then fighting, fighting hard to maintain those relationships. So what's the problem? What is the problem? The problem was, is our relationship with God has unraveled. And therefore, our relationships with other people are affected, and they naturally unravel as well. 
You look at Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve sinned against God. What was the next thing to happen? They, they began to cover themselves and they hide from themselves. They were separated from one another. They, it hurt their relationship in their marriage relationship. It hurt their uh, Cain and Abel as, as Cain killed Abel. It hurt a relationship there. And we have been looking at hurting relationships all this time. Now, here's what's happened. If you think about a solar system for just a moment, in order for a solar system to work, it has to have a center. And the center of our spiritual solar system was God. Now, we rebelled against God, and we inherited this sin nature from Adam and Eve. And so, therefore, we live in a culture, we live in a world, and every culture has been this way. We live in a culture where everyone feels like they are at the center of their own solar system. And so if everybody's at the center, if the world revolves around each one of us and our thoughts and our dreams, then it's difficult for us to open up and have relationships with other people. So our relationship with God unravels, therefore our relationship with others as well. And we can see this as, as God has always called us to community. Remember what I said, I don't know, a couple of years ago, where even you look at the Trinity of God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, there's community there. And so even way back in the Old Testament, God was forming the nation of Israel in order to be a community that would glorify him, that would be a witness to the rest of the world, that others would see how he's blessing the nation of Israel, and therefore they would want to follow God as well. Well, it didn't always work out that way. We look at the story, a really a bizarre story. In the Old Testament, the book of Joshua, by the fellow by the name of Achan. And uh, in the story, the um, people were in the wilderness, and Joshua, was the, um, the um, successor to Moses, was going to lead the people into the promised land. The first town was Jericho. The walls of Jericho came tumbling down. They went in. It was a total victory. God gave them the victory. They didn't have to do really anything to earn it. And he says, look, this first victory, I'm going to win for you, but all the spoils, they called them back, back then, spoils, in the in the city belong to me, God said. Now, we'll work out something where it all belongs to you. Uh, most of it belongs to you in the next town, but this one belongs to me, so don't take anything. Well, Achan stole some stuff from God, and he hid it in his tent. Well, his family knew about it, and they were, I'm sure, involved as well. And so in the next town they went in, God didn't bless them. And at Ai, a little town called Ai, they defeated the nation of Israel, and they killed 35 I think it was 35 different men. Now, I said, well, that's not a lot in a battle. Well, it's 35 men lost their lives, 35 mothers that lost their sons, 35 um, maybe siblings or, or children that lost their dad, 35 wives lost their husbands. And so there's a great loss in the nation of Israel, and they went down and they cried before the Lord, they fasted before the Lord, and God said, look, you know, they're sinning the camp. They're sinning the camp. And so they, they got all the way down to, a to Achan, and he confessed, finally, because he was caught. They went, went into the tent. They got all of his stuff. And then he began to, to talk and confess. I just couldn't help myself. Now, here's the thing. God not only punished Achan, but his whole family. So I can understand God punishing Achan, but his whole family? Well, here's the thing. Achan not only sinned against God, but he sinned against the witness of God. God was building a community of people collectively 
to give witness to the power and the grace and the mercy of God. And, and he was just, he was blowing the witness. But not only that, but God also recognizes something else. And that is, none of us are born and raised in a vacuum. Now, in the Western mind thought, Achan's family being punished because of him, whether they knew about it or not, seems unfair, but that's Western or American mindset. The Bible tells us, and the Bible teaches, that all those around us influence us. All of us are really not only a product of the decisions we make, but the decisions we make based on what we have around us and who we really admire. You know, I, I said last week that uh, when we are impressed with someone, it leads to expression. Impression leads to expression. And so we're not all just individuals. For example, try to say, well, you know, no, I, I'm a product of my own self-esteem. I know who I am and I'm a winner. Try everybody calling you a loser. If everybody believed you were a loser and everybody called you a loser, boy, it would be next to impossible to consider yourself a winner. Well, how about this? A guy here, maybe in the church, it'd be, have to be in the first service, but um, I'm going to talk about wearing a suit. Okay. All right. Here's a guy, he's a businessman, and maybe he's a big CEO or, or at least high up in the corporate world. And, uh, you know, he's got, you know, a little gray at the temple. He's got a gray suit on. He's about maybe six foot, about like me, and 170 pounds, not like me. And, um, you know, he, he wears this nice, and he's articulate. He just always knows the right things, the right things. He's read the right books. He knows how to treat this person and treat this person, and everybody kind of likes him, and he gets promoted right on up. Where did this guy come from? Oh, he's just always been that way. Oh, yeah? Ask his mama. He grew up wearing a baseball cap, probably, sweaty head. When he pulled it off, dirt all over him. Why did he become like that? Because somewhere along the line, he was impressed with someone. He says, I want to be like that guy, and I, I want to be able to have that kind of job. And so he began to want to be like this certain individual. We are really a product of our own decisions that we make based on the input of those around us. Why do you think so many parents are, are scared about peer pressure in the schools? Because we know all that really makes a difference. We become like the people that we follow, the people that we hang out with. And so what we're talking about this morning is just not simply going to a small group a place to belong. We're talking about hanging out and following people like you want to be, like you want to develop into, which not only talks about just people meeting in a room, but people meet, meeting in a room and living, doing life together for, with a purpose. And so we see the dangers involved. We see the dangers of the fact that if we are isolated, we will we will put ourselves, whether we're watching television, watching a movie, and, and thinking about this person or that person, Facebook, we're going to be drawn to somebody. But there's another danger, and that is outside community, we are really picked off one by one. I was uh, reading about a missionary that uh, said that there's all kinds of conversions going on in the nation of Africa or the continent of Africa today. 
And in his village, he said, we're about two unanswered prayers away from everybody just leaving. Why? No discipleship. They don't know what they're doing. They, they, they're just getting picked off one by one by one. You look in the Bible, Eve was alone when she was tempted. Cain was alone when he was tempted. David was alone with, uh, and was tempted with Bathsheba. Peter was alone when he was denying Christ. When we're by ourselves is exactly the place Satan wants us to be to cause us to fall. And then the third danger is the fact that we need a model. I mean, come on. What does the Christian life really look like? I remember when I received Christ in my heart at the age of 16, and really, my, my church growing up, a rural church, wonderful church, wonderful people, wonderful pastor, but our youth group, there was no spiritual life there at all. I don't know of more than one guy, and he was a preacher's kid, uh, I don't know of one guy in there that I would, ha if I had to, I couldn't testify if they were saved, if they were really a follower of Christ. I had no one to look at and say, oh, that's, that's how you live the Christian life. That's how it's done. I had no, until I got to college, I had no clue really of how to live the Christian life. What does it look like? All of us need that model. And that's why we're talking about a church, we're talking about a small group, we're talking about people that will model the Christian life for you. So, what are we called to do? You see the problem? You see the problem of isolation? You see the problem of needing a model? You see a problem of really becoming like the people that you hang around with? So, what's the calling? Here we look at Matthew chapter 5. And it says, you are the salt of the earth. What's it talking about? It's talking about here the church. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Surely he was pointing right back here to Matthew chapter 5. And he's doing this. The word church means um, the called out ones. Ekklesia in the Greek. Now, you're called out to something. I'm called out to something. I was in a world, the Bible says in the book of Ephesians, I was in a world of darkness. Now I'm called out of that and really to establish a new community, to establish a new culture, a counterculture. It's a brand new community. Just like God was forming a community in Israel, he's forming a community now called the church. And he says, this is what this church ought to do. It ought to be salt. Now, salt is three things, real quickly. It's a preservative. You know, you... I, I've been trying to cut down on my sodium a little bit, and I found out, someone told me that in the canned vegetables, you know what I'm talking about, canned vegetables? They put a little, a little salt, a little cube of salt in every single one of those cans, and that's why every time I eat that, it comes up a lot, uh, you know, on this website thing, a lot of sodium. And um, it's salt. Why? Because it preserves He's saying here that the church lived out, living out the Christian life as a community of God is like a preservative to the rest of the world. But he also talks about a flavor here. In fact, if your doctor tells you that your sodium is high, you know what that means, right? You know what that means? That means you are enjoying your food, you know? <laughs> it's got, it has some taste uh, to it. But also it creates thirst. You know, the old saying is you can't leave, lead a, a horse to the trough, but you can sure make him thirsty and give him some salt. 
It also says here that we're the light of the world. It implies a world of darkness. It means that we, are, we enlighten the rest of the world to the fact that God exists, that he is good, that he, he's a blessing, and that you can grow in him, live the Christian life, and it does pay to serve God. He says, you're a city that is set upon a hill. Israel, again, was that community in the Old Testament. Didn't really work out. They were not, in the Old Testament, they were not the witness to God that they needed to be. God raised up the church and the New Testament times. One of the purposes of salvation is to build a new community to be salt and light to the rest of the world. Now, what did they do to do that? I mean, oh, they just, I don't know, they kind of met together, I guess, every day. What did they do? Well, I love the passage in Acts chapter 2. I visited there a few weeks ago, and I enjoyed the visit. So let me visit there again. Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost, that, that day where the Holy Spirit came down, the church really started. And 3,000 people were saved at one time. Let's read about it. So those who received his word were baptized, and there added that day were about 3,000 souls. Wow. But here's what they did. They devoted. They devoted. They gave themselves to something, to the apostles' teaching, and that is the word of God. Now, think about it for just a moment. Whatever the church ought to be, whatever a small group ought to be, they ought to be devoted, centered around the Word of God. It says devoted to fellowship. Iron sharpens iron, the Bible says in Proverbs 27, so one man sharpens another. But let me say this, if you are the type of Christian that are not living the Christian life and people are following you, then your ax is dull and they're going to be dull. You can influence them in the church for the negative. In the Old Testament, just because the nation of Israel did not follow God, doesn't mean that they be, ceased to become the nation of Israel. They were still the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. If you and I do not live the Christian life and we're not collectively together doing what God wants us to do around the Word of God and the fellowship that we have can be negative. It doesn't have to always be positive. We always need to have small groups that will challenge us spiritually, that we can look at the teacher or the deacon in the class and say, oh, okay, I see the model now. I understand now what it means to live the Christian life. And that should be true of so many in the class. They were devoted, the Bible says, to worship. They were in awe in every soul, many wonders and signs being done through the apostles. And they believed in all together and how all things common. They were a giving church. And they were a prayerful church. So how did they do it? And you say, well, you know, I'm a teacher of a small group. And I would like to know that. And so some churches say, well, what you need to do is divide people up according to their interests. You know, here's, here's the class. Man, we're, we, we, we fish. You know, we play golf. That's what we have in common. We play golf. We shop. We go bowling. We play tennis. Now, I'm not saying those things are bad. But there's a commonality here that went far beyond that. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who wrote many, many books in his lifetime, um, a pastor of the um, 20th century, um, was saved and then called into the ministry out of an aristocratic kind of background. And so it was nothing for him to go down to the club. That's what I'm saying. Well, he received Christ, called into the ministry, 
And then after he was trained, he was sent out into a village. He thought, wow, you know, how am I going to minister? I don't have any, I don't know anything about, you know, slopping the hogs and feeding the chickens. And I don't know anything about the lifestyle here. But he found within a few weeks, he said, I, I found that I was much more interested in talking to the Christian lady that was feeding her chickens than I was with the aristocrat talking about golf or whatever they were talking about in the country club. Why? Because Jesus is the common ground. It's not hunting. It's not fishing. It's not golf. It's not, it's not, it's not even your kids. It's Jesus. And so when fellowship is built around, well, we're just, <clears throat> we're just all about the kids. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have common interests. Especially men, it seems like we just can't have a conversation unless we're doing something. I mean, you ever try to do that, guys? You know, even as a pastor, I call up some guy and he, he, he says, hey, you know, first thing out of his mouth after a few greetings, you know, how's the family, things like that. He's going to say, hey, what's up? What can I do for you? What's going on? All kinds of ways to ask, why did you call me? <laughs> oh, I just called just to talk. And he's going to wonder what drug I'm on. <laughs> so we need those commonalities, but the, the commonality is not what happened in the football games on Saturday. The commonality is Jesus Christ. That's what brings us together in community. Well, we see this, and we look at what it takes. Gene Getz, who wrote a book many, many years ago, I think during the 1960s, and came out with these three things that are true uh, universally today. We need three things as Christians. We need a place to celebrate, and that is worship. As Tim mentioned, it, we are here in this auditorium today to bring glory to God by worshiping Him. Now, you can do that with a 1,000 people, 500 people, 5 people, 10,000 people. It doesn't matter about the number. It matters just about the heart, opening yourself up and celebrating. It gives hope. It gives joy. It gives fulfillment to the heart when you do that. So we need celebration. We also need, and these are all C's, congregation. And that's our small group. We need a small group because celebration brings you face to face with people. You're sitting around people right now. Maybe you sit around nearly every week and you recognize their face. You, you don't know their name maybe, but you recognize their face. There's a comfort level to that. So you're fellowshipping face to face. Congregation, small group, hand to hand. There's friendship there. And finally, there's a cell. And that's just maybe three or four people. It's not 15 or 20. It's three or four people where you can open up your heart, take off your mask, and really be who you really are. Now, Jesus had that. Sermon on the Mount, he had hundreds, maybe thousands listening to him. Other sermons he preached, thousands of people were coming. We know that because he fed 5,000 people at one time. But he also had the 12. How did he get the 12? He chose them out of the 5,000. You've got to have the 5,000, really, in this scenario before you have the 12. But you've got to have the 12 before you have the three. You had Peter, James, and John, three guys they really hung out with, very, very close. So we need all three of those. And that's really a heart-to-heart -heart relationship. Now, the heart-to-heart -heart relationship comes out of the small group. 
But the small group is the congregation. It's the hand-to-hand. It's the friendship part where you can look around. Even from afar, you look at this guy and say, or this lady, wow, you know, they really know the, they really know the word. I can tell that person's a prayer warrior. I want, to, I want to sort of get to know them. I'd like for them to be praying for me. Oh, this person over here, not paying attention, doesn't seem, you know, the talk of, of SEC football is over, so he's, he's tuned out. Eh, probably not the guy I want to know. Just being up front. Because not only do you need people around you not to be isolated, you need the right people around you to become the kind of believer that you need to be. And so what are we, what are we doing today? What will a small group do for you? We've got all these tables lined up in the atrium. Many people were out there in between services. Praise God for that. Some of you are, belong already to a small group. Many of you do not. But a small group is going to give you a place to belong. In fact, it's my understanding we're going to give away a T-shirt like this to everyone who enrolls in a um, small group today. And uh, just a reminder that this is a place to belong. Because some of you are not ready to join the church. Maybe you're just not ready. You don't know about, you're not sure about the doctrine. You're sort of, you know, kicking the tires a little bit here. But enrolling into a small group is really very little commitment. Now, we want you to be committed to coming, obviously, but it's a commitment from us because in the small groups, we have a deacon in every class. And so the ministry of the church comes through, through the small groups. You want to know how we know you're sick? Small groups. How do we know you had someone to pass away in your family? Small groups. Unless you are in a small group or write it on a card, we probably will not know what's going on in your life. And that's probably true of any church of about three or 400 people. We have to have some sort of organizational system that's going to help us to find that out. Now, we minister. If there's one thing that we are known for, and other churches, I think, have emulated this uh, over the years here in Florida, is our ability to minister into the small groups. I've been to hospitals before where somebody's had a crisis and I've walked in and I'm not slow to get there. I, I go and there's already 20 people with the fried chicken from Publix, you know, already feeding everybody, you know. I've seen that over and over and over again. Why? Because there's a closeness there. There's a responsibility there for anyone who's enrolled in their class to take care of them. And in turn, you take care of others as well. And then... There's the growth that takes place. This is the real church on mission. And whether it's serving in the community, going on a mission trip, or just simply just sitting in class, soaking in the Word of God, asking your question. You say, well, I'm too shy to ask a question. Yeah, but somebody's going to ask the same question that you have. They're going to make the same comment that you would have made if you weren't kind of shy. And you'll get over that. But this is where the common ground takes place because we need to be about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be about the word of God. How can I grow as a believer? You do it through celebration, through the preaching of God's word, but you've got to have some sort of way that you can get in front of somebody and say, how do you live this Christian life? Let me watch you. We have a big church here, and it's impossible for you, everybody, to watch me, even though sometimes I catch you at the restaurant watching me. You know, no, no, I'm just kidding. It's not true. Well, maybe it is, and I don't know it. I don't know. Probably I'll think through that. 
but someone that you know is living the Christian life, and you say, okay, that's how it's done, through small group. Now, what happens then? There you are growing in that small group, and you have something in common with this person, and you start talking, and pretty soon he's opening up to you, maybe you're opening up to them, and now you have one of those people in your cell, the real small group, the Peter, James, and John small group. Can't get there until you're part of a friendship. And you can't get there until you're part of this, the celebration. What happens? What's the result? What's the celebration around us? Look in verse 16 as we close the message. In the same way, he says, let your light shine before others so that something's going to happen here. They may see your good works and give glory to God. Two things, good works and glory to God your Father who is in heaven. What's going to happen? Collectively, we're going to be able to do good works. And collectively, the world will notice and say, wow, what's happening in your life? What's happening at that church? I may need to check it out. Collectively, a witness to glorify God. And you just don't know how God's going to give you the opportunity. Tony Campola, who is a teacher, professor, and um, a preacher as well, was doing a Bible conference in this, in this city. He couldn't sleep, three o'clock in the, 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning. He decides, I, I remember this diner next door to the hotel. I'm going to go there and get something to eat. So he gets dressed, goes into the diner. It's about 3 o'clock in the morning. He's eating his food. And these ladies just start coming in to the place just talking. At first, he's not even paying much attention until he kind of looks up, and he understands that these ladies are, um, well, I don't know how many children we've got in the room, so they're proselytizers, okay, uh, for a better, they're ladies of the evening, you know, working ladies, and so they're all from the same group, and they're getting a cup of coffee or whatever they're doing, and he's kind of taken back, and he's like, man, how's this going to look? You know, here I am, a pastor, you know, and um, he, he hears one of them talk about that she's going to have a birthday the next day. And she says, you know, I've never had a birthday party. And he begins to listen in about her childhood. Another shared about her childhood. And he said, you know, these, these ladies have just never had anything. And this one particular lady never had a birthday party. They all leave together pretty much. Henry, the proprietor of the place, is left there with Tony Campoli. He goes up to Henry and says, do you think that we can give this young lady a birthday party tomorrow night? And he's kind of taken back. He says, well, I guess we could. And he says, I tell you what, you, you get the food ready. I'll order the cake, and I'll, get the, I'll be responsible for all the decorations. And you, and you contact her friends and make sure she gets in here at 3 o'clock tomorrow night, tomorrow morning. And so the arrangements were made. And she comes in, and she's just moved to tears. Happy birthday had her name up in big letters. The balloons were everywhere. The cake was there. The food was there. She's just crying uncontrollably. I've never had a party. I've never had anybody show me how much they cared for me. And um, she even said, can I... 
I just live right around the corner. Can I just take this cake home and put it in the freezer? I want to save it. And everybody agreed to that. So after a little while, all the ladies left, just Tony Campola and Henry were there. And he says, man, what a great success. Thank you so much for doing that. And he says, by the way, who are you? He says, my name's Tony. Like I told you, yeah, but who are you? He says, nobody would do this. You, you ask for nothing, absolutely nothing in return. Nobody does this. He says, well, I'm a teacher and I'm a pastor. And I belong, the church I belong to, we do this kind of stuff all the time. He says, Henry said that no church does that. No church does that. And if they did, I'd join it. No church does that. But what a witness, a good work for, that, for Henry and those young ladies in weeks to come will hear about it. What happened was that a Christian man did something out of the growth of his life to serve someone else. And God really got the glory. So what about you today? Do you feel a little isolated? No wonder it's so easy to pick you off. Remember Jesus' greatest temptations in the wilderness alone, in the garden alone, at the cross? He was really isolated, wasn't he? He was abandoned, ridiculed, hated. But he died that way so you and I would never have to be isolated. He says, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He died so you could be part of a community of people, like-minded, loving Jesus, that will help you along the trail, if you allow that to happen. And I would challenge you today, allow that. Give it a shot. Allow that to happen. With their heads bowed and eyes closed, this morning, there are those here, I'm sure, among us that have never received Christ. And we invite you to also just simply enroll in a small group as well. You'll find out more about him. You don't have to join the church. Just enroll in a Bible study in a small group. But if you've never received Christ, you may be thinking, wow, I kind of get it now. I kind of understand it, and I'm ready. I want Jesus in my heart as well. If that's the prayer of your heart, I would invite you right now to pray this prayer with me silently as I pray aloud. If you mean this prayer, Jesus, I believe, will come in and live inside your life as he has mine. Pray with me. Lord God, I thank you for going to the cross for me, for being isolated, abandoned by your Father, hanging on a cross so I would never have to take that kind of punishment. So I would not have to be isolated. So I could be part of a loving community. So Lord, I want to ask Jesus into my life. I want to ask you to forgive me of my sins. I want you to help me to follow you. I pray that you'll place people in my life to teach me how to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.